So hello and welcome back to the GigCX Decoded podcast where we continue to dive into the world of gig-based customer service or as we've shortened it just to make things easy, GigCX. Uh, and as always brought to you by Limitless, uh, I am your host, Chris Dumpleton, Chief Sales Officer here at the Good Ship Limitless. And um, as we've done in previous shows, we bring on people far cleverer than I to talk about the wonderful world of, of a customer service and experience and just rattle through perspectives and how gig can play a role in that. And today is a um, special day for us. We are joined by Dr. Natalie Petterhoff. And um, Natalie, I'm going to do a little bio for you and you can tell me how how well I'm doing there before we get into things. Uh, Natalie, uh, for, firstly, sorry, I need to double check this because I'm, I'm terribly British and need to be polite. Can I can I call you Natalie or should I just be, should it be Dr.? Please call me Natalie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chivalry never dies. Okay. So Natalie is a, a Wall Street Journal best-selling author, speaker, board member, expert in residence, a strategist in AI, CX, and EX. Try putting all those together. And you co-wrote Empathy in Action with Tony Bates, um, CEO of Genesis, uh, and has a massive amount of industry experience. And that comes from not only being an analyst but also being a consultant in in this industry. So that is a that is some CV. Have I got close to all of your experience, Natalie? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of time thinking about customer and employee experience. I would say yeah. that that's where that's my DNA and that's where my heart lies. And uh, been in the industry a long time and would really like to see it change. And I'm making a list of my favorite vendors, which means that I think as a former analyst that the technology has been designed by with the customer and the employee in mind. And that's mm. one of the reasons I love Lumentless because I'm just, you know, I'm just so thrilled to see people really, you know, empathy in action is kind of my thing and really putting yourself in the seat of the customer and the employee and going, wow, how could we make this amazing? Mm. And then doing it, right? Because a, <laughs> a lot of times companies talk about it and they think they're doing it. But oftentimes, mm -hmm. technology is a rate limiting step. And so we're like kind of in a whole new paradigm of what I think, how technology can play a role in the customer and the employee experience. And so coming soon, I'm going to make a list of my favorite vendors mm -hmm. um, and post it on LinkedIn. And you guys will be one of them. I had a fabulous talk with Megan. Um, and she took me through the technology, the employee and the customer experience. And I'm just like, okay, these guys have really thought through this. It's very cool. We've made the so list. That's my shameless plug, but, but I'm, <laughs> I'm really, really serious. I'm not being paid anybody out there who's wondering. Um, no, I, I really, really am so serious about, you know, in the book, there's really four levers, right? There's leadership, there's culture, there's how you measure and why you measure. And then there's technology. And oftentimes, whether it's self-service or agent-assisted service, the self-service often ends in a dead end. Mm. And agent-assisted service ends up in long average handle times because they don't have context or mm -hmm. the agents aren't brand advocates. And so they don't know everything that they need to know. And, um, and they don't speak from an empathetic point of view. And so for the customer, it's really not so good and for the employee oh my mm. gosh can you imagine yeah. i mean it's a difficult job 
Oh, totally. And I mean, I can personally relate to it because my, um, this often comes up on the show, but my first ever job was in a, was in a contact center and you, you know, obviously that was only a couple of years ago because that was my first ever job sort of thing, but maybe it was about 25 years ago, something like that. And, um, but then, you know, that was voice only that I don't even think email was a channel. It was just like, um, but you had the, the 15 minute intervals then, and it was, you know, productive time, that stuff. But yeah, so even then before all of the, all of the other challenges in technology, it, interesting, actually, and we just go straight into this. Cause I thought I was just playing back what you said around, um, how agent assisted technology can often lead to longer, uh, uh, average handle times because they don't have the context. So is that, so do you see then the agents having to get to a certain point and then having to kind of go back again to the start to really understand what it was all around because they've been led down a certain route by what was what was seemingly the helpful part and then them okay well actually this isn't helping me too much here i've got to go back and ask the customer sorry give me all the context i need to figure out what's going on and that and you've seen that actually lead to longer longer handle times very much so so without Mm. customer journey analytics and kind of understanding the customer's journey um, that often does lead to so let's say you're on a website and you're shopping and you're looking at a bunch of stuff and then you um, put something in a shopping cart then you go to mm. the FAQs with like a predictive uh, analytics customer journey analytics you can actually see a lot of information but with uh, some a customer who's been authenticated and that gives you a lot of context so that you can say oh are you asking about this particular paint mm-hmm. or this particular right. shoe right so um and then i also see um scripting right so i've been working with um doordash and we looked at their mm-hmm. scripting and there's a lot of excess language um like oh i'm so sorry that's happening too because i think I think companies think that that's helping someone. So, oh, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. That must be really frustrating. And what we're looking at is when someone says for DoorDash, you forgot my eggs. Don't say like, oh, that must be so frustrating. Breakfast is a <laughs> great part of like say, and this is what we're working on is um, if someone says my house is on fire, say, I'll get the hose, right? So that yeah. means sat in the seat of the customer you've understood the context of what they're saying to you instead of scripting a whole bunch of niceties tell them i got it got what you're frustrated about and i will fix it Uh right and so um that's actually changed the average handle time uh by about 50 percent so sometimes it's process sometimes it's technology um but there's a lot of things until you actually sit down and realize um, that leading with empathy can actually change your metrics, which mm. then changes your bottom line and your top line. Because if the experience is really frustrating and it ends in a dead end, you might lose that customer or you might get a customer who's now calling to yell at an agent when it's not really their fault. Mm. Um, and that average handle time is you paid for a self-service that didn't work. then the average handle time is higher and then you've lost. So there's cost, right? And then you've lost the revenue from that customer because they're like, I'm not going to do this again. That was a bad experience. So I don't think that people necessarily 
think of empathy as mm. uh, a bottom line kind of metric or a way to process. Um, but it, but we're finding it really does, it really does um, change your metrics and changes your changes your cost and revenue. Well, be I'd be fascinated to get your perspective on how you can uh, how you can measure it because it's often one of the things that we we um, you know, when we talk around what uh, GigCX does and we say look it it's got some objective metrics like fundamentally it's a different model therefore there are different parameters to it that don't or 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 are arguably better than they would be in a different environment such as you're only paying for people on the on a per gig basis. So therefore you're not paying for the time that they're not working. It's as simple as that. But the thing that we often say is that the, you know, almost like the secret source is this thing called empathy. And it's hard to sometimes tangibilize outside of empirical measures. So I'm wondering how, how would you talk about it in terms of value and articulating it to a business? Not only why some of it might seem obvious, but I'd be really interested in your, your experience about why it's so important and, and how, are there a bunch of metrics you look at which combine to say what your empathy score is, even if that's such a thing? Yeah. So what I found was in doing the research and then applying the research with customers is that we're measuring the same thing. So we're measuring first contact resolution. Yeah. We're measuring average handle time. We're measuring after call work time. Um, so we're still measuring a lot of the same things, but because um, the agent is prepared or the self-service actually works. Now that's that's actually increasing your first contact resolution um, or you're reducing the average handle time, right? And so for like a platform like, um, like yours that you're using brand advocates, mm. I think because they, the, the agents, well, First, you said, as you said, they're not working full time, they're gig workers, right? Mm -hmm. So for anybody who doesn't know what a gig worker is, that's someone who works part time, right? And who, um, and, and likes that lifestyle, right? So I think there's a lot of benefits to that lifestyle where you're working when you want to work, you're taking calls when you want to take them, um, you're not held to the same sort of like sitting in a contact center or sitting at home at your desk for seven or eight hours, right? Mm -hmm. And I think also because on a platform like Limitless, what you really have are people who are already passionate and brand advocates for the brand. So what that means is your training time is going to be much shorter because they already know the product, yeah. right? They probably know the product maybe even better than the company does, right? Because they have all this personal, visceral, mm -hmm. personal experience. And then I think that they can, because they know the product so well, they know the company so well, they know the products. When a customer asks a question, they are coming from a place of empathy. So they they already have a lot of context that you wouldn't ordinarily have mm -hmm. if you're an agent trying to learn a company's yeah. products. Even if like sometimes you'll have a BPO or call center agents that have been trained on a product if you've lived the brand, right? And you've had probably some of the same questions or issues that the customers had, you already have context. Mm. That's kind of um, tribal wisdom that 
I don't think you don't with the, without experiential knowledge, you can't get that right. You can put it in a training doc, you can put it in a training course, yeah. you can do videos on it, but it's not the same thing as when someone says, I can't log in, this is what the error on the screen, or this product isn't working and it's giving me this message, or whatever the thing is. That brand advocate has probably experienced that and can yeah. get right to the issue. So I think, I think, um, and then I think their attitude is going to be different, right? They're going to be excited about answering the question because they love the brand. And it's fascinating, right? Because we had the pandemic, everybody had a moment or longer than a moment to kind of self-reflect and go, is this what I want to do with my life? Yeah. And then you saw the great resignation, quiet quitting. I mean, every day on Instagram, on Fortune magazine, they come up with some new term. Like I haven't been able to keep up with like, I don't know, people working three jobs, but they're supposed to be full time at one job. Right. So there's all these new reactions and phenomenon in the mm. workplace, because I really don't think a lot of employees like their employers. And the employers are like, oh, well, they're bad employees or they're, you know, they're not productive. So we're just going to lay a bunch of people off. And, and I would say, I mean, I understand what happened, you know, sales projections were higher. I mean, a lot of companies did really well during the pandemic. Mm. Some didn't, right. But some did, they hired a bunch of people and now they didn't have the same sales rate. So now they have to lay off because they're not making the same revenue. So I would say, how come you didn't prepare to sustain that sales rate, right? That increase in revenue, right? So there was something that maybe you could have done to keep that going, right? And I also think that a lot of employees quit or they quit in their mind. That's where the quiet quitting is. Like I'm here, I'm totally here. Absolutely. I'm like so on board and they're not right. And so I would say, why, right? Mm. What are we doing as leaders in our cultures to make such, and I, and I don't think it's any one leader, or any one company. I think the great resignation was a mass wake up call mm. to the whole corporate zeitgeist that whatever, like in, in the book, we go all the way back to the first industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. And like, because employees weren't treated well, machinery is dangerous. Um, if you're working in a factory, you couldn't go to the bathroom, there weren't lunch breaks, yeah. and that created the advent of, of, um, of really unions. And then a lot of companies have come to regret the union. But mm -hmm. again, I get it right? And something needed to be done, but there's shared responsibility in any outcome. So what have leaders done or not done to create a situation where employees felt that, you know, in that time period, it was unions and this time period, it's quitting or rescaling and retraining yourself or working three jobs and not telling the truth about that. Like, so I think in a model where employees love a brand and love who they're working for, mm. so they're working for the brand and they're working for Limitless, when an employee really loves what they do because of their affinity for the brand and because of the platform that they're working mm. on, 
you're not going to have the same issues in an employee base that you have in a culture right. where people feel there's disingenuous, mm. unauthentic, um, right? And so I really, I think what you're doing at Limitless, I mean, it's like cool. It's a really cool, you know, special BPO. You know, if I just look at it, like from an analyst point of view, that's, that's really cool. But yeah. when I look at like what's going on in the world and um, uh, the bigger picture of employee engagement, um, mm. And then that, and you can't, you can't deliver great experiences to customers without great employee engagement. So yep. we talk about employee engagement and we throw pizza parties and we like, <laughs> do stuff. But, you know, when you ask employees, does that matter? It kind of matters, mm. but I think it's just a different, we're entering, we're on the tipping point or maybe we've gone over the tipping point where we're at a place in time where the employee zeitgeist is just very different. And I don't think that laying people off is the only answer, right? Mm. I get like balancing the books, but as companies are doing these layoffs, are they really looking at the employee experience and how are they changing that so that the employees are putting in as much work as they would if they were totally engaged. You're getting mm -hmm. the productivity, you're getting the innovation, you're getting the commitment, you're getting the loyalty. Because if you're not changing that, you're just gonna end up in the same cycle, right? And I think it was Einstein who said, doing things the same way and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. So yeah. I would I would, you know, say this is, I think this is an invitation to look at things, put yourself in the shoes of your customers and your employees, and hopefully they'll be honest. Hopefully your culture is psychologically safe that people can tell the truth without feeling repercussions. Mm -hmm. And that you create a culture where everyone's a brand advocate. And I remember um, when I, when I was first looking at Forrester, I got, they did a CMO report mm -hmm. and the CMO report, they wanted to ask an expert, I guess that that's how they saw me, um, for this report, what is the importance of employees being brand advocates or brand ambassadors? Okay, that's really interesting, yeah. And I thought it was really fascinating because this was back in 2008. Right, wow, yeah. And and I thought this was a really interesting report. And to me, the ROI is huge, yeah. right? But I think it it's something that leaders talk about. I don't know if they really know mm. how to execute on that. And so I think it's really fascinating that, that the executives, you know, on your team have really thought through this and wanted to do something really different. So kudos to you well thank you that's um it's wonderful to hear and and i think the um so one of if you think about um so a lot, e economics drive a lot of this behavior right which is that in a traditional model the the margins are or the pressure sorry is so high to get the um agents you know working closing calls, digital conversations, and 
wrap before the next one, the productive time, right? Because the yeah, most yeah, most contact centers are cost centers. They're not there to make money. They're there to soak up the post sales stuff that if it didn't exist in the first place would be would be arguably better if it didn't exist in the first place and that's off from the trends which is everyone tries to automate everything so it doesn't exist in the first place but you do have an opportunity to reinforce your brand if you if you think about things in a in a different way and that's the you know that's the the kool-aid that we drink on a regular basis like you know when we turn up we have to drink this literally every morning um but if you were to say, right, well, do we subscribe to the fact that uh, it would be better if someone who has a question about one of our products can talk to somebody who has this product? Everybody is going to say yes. And then you say, right, well, now what we'd like you to do is to go and, you know, we need we need 10,000 agents. but They've all got to be customers and they've all got to come here and work 35 hours a week on these shifts so uh off you go I mean, it's just an impossible task and if you go to a bpo who's working on behalf of that brand and and i'm i'm okay i'm getting my big broad paintbrush out here but i would i would say if you if you said right everyone stop what you're doing uh put your hand up if you've actually got this product in your own personal lives and what, I mean, I'd be amazed how many would actually not only say they have, but how many would say not only do they not, but actually how many might already have a competitor's product, right? You just don't know because you're, the economics don't drive your ability to find the people. You, you, you need bodies to be scripted and trained to be able to represent a brand. And you, you touched on something earlier on, which is that sort of scripted empathy. In, and like, as long as we do this, that looks that's empathetic enough, you know, and say that must be really frustrating for you. Oh, your house is on fire. That must be really frustrating. You know, it's, it's a bit beyond frustrating, you know. <laughs> yeah. the and um, you've, you've reminded me of this company. I touched on this in my, um, it was one of my last podcasts, actually. But so um, a while ago, well, quite a while ago, I, I um, was fortunate enough to be not because of my skills, but because of the sponsorship. But, but I, I sat on one of the judging panels for, the European Contact Centre Customer Service Awards. So these were the, it's the European version of the Oscars for contact centres, right? And uh, and the most prestigious one was Large Contact Centre of the Year. And for three years running, this company called Labara Mobile won it. Now, Labara Mobile are a prepaid SIM provider. It's not a very sexy product. You turn up in a country where you don't live and you want to have a SIM card, you can put in your phone so you can call back home. Right. So, and they had lots of, you know, loads of people calling out. It's a problems with a card or technology issues or working with phones and all that sort of stuff, right? But this contact center, one large contact center of the year, three years running, because it did some things that are fundamentally different. And, and I think it plays really neatly into what you talked about in terms of putting employees at the heart of everything you do, not just customers, but both. And you give them the freedom and the trust. So they gave their agents a basically a budget which was we trust you to say the right thing now every one of their employees in the in the contact center were uh, they would speak another language or they would be uh, visiting the uk so it wasn't necessarily their home so they could already relate to people calling up because the people calling up were not living in that in in the uk 
they were calling up because they've just arrived from another country and they were trying to get their prepay thing called and they call home. So what they would create this culture of is people that, yeah, I understand you don't live here. I understand you want to call home and I understand you miss your loved ones and I understand all these problems. And they would ask questions. They would be trained to ask questions. And from those answers, they were able to use their a budget. And what I mean by that is that they would, so people call up and they would, they would hear since frankly, some, you know, quite sad stories. You know, I'm here because I don't have, you know, I need to come here and work so I can send money home and that stuff. And the agents would be sending flowers. They'd be sending chocolates. They'd be sending little, little toys to say, can you give this to your son? And then all these tiny little things that mean so much cost so little, but the biggest thing that they, they delivered was trust to their, staff to do the right thing and you had the lowest attrition rates in the industry you had the highest esat scores in the industry and their csat was through the roof because they gave the right body and it was all because of these little differences rather than sheep dipping people through the training module and that stuff and and it was just fascinating seeing you walked into the contact center you were like yeah these 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 guys love it here like it was just it but it's a prepaid sim it's not it's not like some amazing biotech firm or some enormous life-changing you know whatever it might be right or a luxury brand like you might expect yeah. that from a you know a couture right menu, you know dress manufacturer or some high-end credit card right so one of the things that you said to me which is so frustrating it's always been frustrating to me is that we think of customer service as a cost center uh-huh and that's the mistake. Mm. We have turned it into a cost center mm. yep. because we wish it didn't exist, mm. which is ridiculous because the contact center is your number one contact with your customers, mm. other than like it's a retail or web experience. So that is either gonna be a cost center, if that's your mindset, or it's gonna be cost savings Mm -hmm. And it's going to be royalty generating, but it depends on how you look at it. And because the paradigm has existed since the beginning of going from like having one phone in a business and one person answering it to going, well, this doesn't really work or letters, mm -hmm. right? How people used to communicate to going, oh, well, here's an ACD and a, a PBX. And we're going to like route these calls to like a whole bunch of people because it got set up as a cost center and and that's how the cfo and all the executives see it right and even though we've been talking about customer and employee experience and its value right it's almost in everybody's 10k or on the mm -hmm. walls right <laughs> on some plaque <laughs> we really haven't engaged the leadership and changed our metrics and how we measure and how we think about these people who are serving our customers. And so, yeah, it does cost you a lot of money and the processes and the, how we think about it, we've set it up. Like if we have a script, then we think, well, if they say the person's name three times and they follow mm. the script, then you're gonna get consistency. And then that's gonna be a good experience. It's all wrapped around shortening the average handle time, mm. right? Mm. And first contact resolution. But if you actually look at the process that we're asking people to do and who we're choosing, not brand advocates, 
mm. who are choosing, we're setting it up so that it won't be first contact resolution. The average handle time is going to be long, right? And until we wrap our heads around the fact that it can be done differently, right? I don't think you will ever get away from having to spend money on customer service and customer experience. Mm -hmm. And even for marketing questions, right? I'm on your website. The sweater looks orange, but it says red. I'm not really sure. I'm not going to buy it till I know. Mm -hmm. Right. So whether it's marketing sales or service questions that you're answering, you're not going to ever get away from interacting right. with your customers and you shouldn't want to, no, right? But that's another paradigm shift. So if you're going to interact with them, how are you going to spend that budget? Are you going to spend that budget buying self-service technology that ends up in a dead end? Mm. Are you going to create an agent-assisted experience that's going to frustrate the customer? Or are you investing in technology and processes and the people that are going to reduce your costs? that are going to make a better employee experience. So you have retention. And when we know technology is expensive for contact center, but one of the best, biggest expenses is employees. Yeah, right. right. So like, it makes no sense. It's never made any sense to me no. why we think like this, except that it's a paradigm. It got created before I came of age into this field. And so when I came into it, I saw it very differently. Mm. I, I've been trying to write about it very different, like in this different paradigm, but everybody was in that paradigm. And then, so this book is really my take on stop doing this. It doesn't make <laughs> any sense at all. Think about it this way. And when people get the visceral sense of what that means, to really look at the experience from the customer and the employee's point of view, you go, oh my gosh, we are doing ev almost everything wrong. Like, mm. why would we do this? Why would we continue this way? But I think what happens is, you know, we're kind of like, we show up, we do our jobs. It takes, it's a lot of effort to change things. So we just keep doing what we're doing. But I think because we've gone through this, you know, pandemic shift, mm. And there's a different zeitgeist. Customers have no patience, yeah. right? Employees have no patience. So I think the repercussions of not paying attention to this for real right now is it's going to lead to reduced sales and increase increased costs. And I predict more layoffs really? for the yeah. companies who are really addressing this, right? really addressing the employee experience, really addressing the customer experience. They're the ones that are going to succeed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is a long time window. I think this is a short time window. What sort of time period is short time? I think based on what I've seen in the economy and all the layoffs, it's almost 200,000 people just in the mm -hmm. tech field and other brands. Yeah. Um, I really think that they think layoffs are the answer to ge generating revenue versus making the experience of the customer and the employee better. Mm. And I really believe, and people are like, well, Nat, so you want me to spend more money? No, I don't want you to spend more money. I want you to spend it differently. Mm. You're going to spend, yeah. you're going to pay employees. You're going to ask, answer customer calls. 
or texts or emails or whatever mm -hmm. the interaction is. I want you to think about how you're spending that money. And if you could spend that money and reduce your costs and increase your revenue, why wouldn't you do that? Mm. Yeah. It's like, um, it's an, for me, it's analogous to this, the contact center industry has been like a, like a, a combustion petrol engine for so long that you, you try and put so much into it, but there's only so far it can go, you know, combustion engines have got a, you know, got a limit and you know, some of what we do, but the whole benefit. So the, the, the paradigm shift for me is about historically you have either tried to get rid of contacts or you have tried to bring people to a place of work where they can handle the contacts and you bring enough of them that if you lose a load, you can still maintain some level of service and you don't worry about the ones that come and go because really you want your core 50, 60% of attrition is 30, 40%. You just know that there's always going to be a, an element of, you know, the, of people on a conveyor belt that will stay for six to 12 months, just do enough. And then that then somehow we can measure our CSAT, we can measure our productive hour and our costs are so much and that's it. And then, and there it's like, it's almost like a combination of a petrol engine and like factory chicken farming. <laughs> I'm going off a massive tangent here. So, you you know you're 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 sheep dick scripting and here's what you say and say the customer name three times and say that must be frustrating for you is the is the antibiotics that you give to all your broiler chickens in the factory because they all need to have it they all need to have it and therefore they won't catch anything but it becomes a disease and that disease is that people don't believe it and and and, you know, and so many will will go and and fortunately you know not live and that would go not that that's the agents but that's where my analogy probably comes to an end whereas with technology it is enabled a different way of working which means that rather than ask the people to come to work you can broadcast and federate the work to the people but you can now find those people in different pools as opposed to where you've looked before and that is the fundamental shift here because now you can say, well, we're going to target our own customers and we're going to say, well, thank you for on your own free will choosing to be one of our customers. Now we want to say thank you. And we want to now offer you an, another option, which is do, would you now like to become one of our brand ambassadors, which means you get to help other customers who are either thinking about being a customer like you or have got post sales customer services. And we believe you can help them. You get to work on your own free time, You'll be rewarded for every case you resolve. And we think you might like to, to do that. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no, um, you know, there's no like shame in our saying these facts, right? But we have absolutely, when we run a campaign for um, one of our brands to onboard a whole bunch of new experts and we say, right, we need to go and invite, you know, X number because we want to get Y number of experts as we refer to them, brand ambassadors live on the platform that there isn't there is isn't ever any shortage of people that that want to sign up and they are customers right and, and that's the because people uh when you're tapping into someone that, that has already made the decision to be a customer and as long as they're happy with the product and that comes down to your quality of the product and what is it what it's supposed to do right but that's a different side of the equation or side of the dice but if they're happy with what they've got then then people generally, you know, it's like community forums, but you you are injecting steroids into it.
by professionalizing it in a way that means you can rely on it as a service and then you can actually change the way in which your operating model works and you're taking all the good things of what a community forum does but you can attach some of the contact center metrics and slas to it and then in this world of what i referred to as liquid loyalty which is that most business models are shifting more and more and more to monthly subscriptions or pay-as-you-go services and with more competition on the market they're able to switch providers for a buck you know or to save a dime you know and and loyalty becomes liquid so if you can allow people to you know so if i'm a if i'm a uh, if i'm a customer and then i'm invited to become a brand ambassador firstly my relationship with that brand is now twofold one i've chosen to be a customer and now it's an actual earning opportunity for me what my NPS score is going to be. You know, my NPS score is going to be high, right? And hopefully the people you talk to, you know, that's going to reverberate out and help them along their journey as well. So I think hopefully we're saying the same thing. I think we are. There's lots of nodding heads. Yeah. Going. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, there. I mean, that's the word of mouth factor, right? Yeah. So um, before a platform like yours, there was like platforms like Lithium where customers... Right. They yeah. use it for customer service, right? And people yeah. would write in and then experts would answer questions. And um, I remember talking to a reporter, I think at the New York Times. And so he was trying to understand the concept of, of people logging into a platform to answer other people's questions. Yeah. And it didn't cost, I mean, it cost for the platform, but it didn't yeah, cost. Anything, and yeah. he was like, like he couldn't grasp it, right? He was like, these people want to answer these questions. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you have to really get into the zeitgeist of brand ambassadors and advocates and their passion, which I don't, you can't buy that kind of loyalty or that mm. kind of excitement, right? That's, that comes from innately loving something. And so when you compare an employee that is just showing up for a job, right? And they're, they're working in this environment their time is not their own. They don't necessarily know that much about the brand. They're just showing up for a job versus showing up because you love something. Yeah. It, it, like I, I don't have the words to say how much sense this makes, because mm. if you ask any CEO, would you want an employee base that loves their job? and is really dedicated to doing their best and is extremely productive, extremely innovative, gives great feedback. I don't think anybody would say no. And yet on a daily basis, companies make decisions for platforms and contact centers that are not this, mm. right? So yeah, I, I'm, I would love advice on how to shift this paradigm because <laughs> um, it's it's really, really what my life's work has been about is looking at this stuff and helping people see that how we think about things now, mm. not only doesn't make sense now, it really mm. doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense then. What I would say is that up until now, there have not been a lot of platforms or a lot of technology that actually allowed us to do some of the things that we can do today. So right. as we transition from the fourth industrial revolution to the fifth industrial revolution, 
which is where we are now, which is the meeting of the minds of people and machines in ways that we've never been able to do. And that's why I go back to, I think technology has been a rate limiting step for, for a bit. Now we have no excuse, right? Mm. Before it might've been process or mindset that we're limiting. Now the technology can scale this kind of empathy factor, which when you put together all the pieces, you have a flywheel of success. Right. And so it's really about getting the message out, getting people to understand this, getting them, I would say, to slow down, to go fast, right? So that they can actually start to comprehend the way that we've been doing things does not make any sense. Mm. And it's worth my time to examine other things and look at other examples and, you know, try it as a pilot or try it, you know, for a mm. small sector and do the comparison, right? Like sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to completely abandon what I'm doing. I'm not really sure. You know, and, and if you look at Joffrey Moore's technology adoption curve, right, there's the innovators who are going to hear this and go, dang, yeah, let's, I'm all, I'm in, right? And then mm. there's early adopters who are going to go, okay, that's interesting. Let me look at this. And then the bulk of the curve, which is about 65%, are the early and late majority. And that's really where you have to convince. Mm. The laggards are probably never going to change, right? So don't waste your time there. Um, and let them go out of business, right? If they want to keep up with what's going on in the world. Um, or hopefully maybe they look to the early and late majority for proof points. Mm -hmm. So I think that our job, right, in terms of just shifting paradigms mm -hmm. is to get that early and late majority to hear this, understand it, show the ROI, show the difference um, through examples, through testimonials, um yeah. right so and that that's like i would love to hear from people early and late majority folks who are like yeah it sounds good when you say it fast snap but i really i don't believe you right i don't believe it's going to be any different or i believe i'm going to spend more i don't believe i can reduce my cost i don't think my revenue is going to change i would love to know what they want as proof points because mm -hmm. then that helps me in my work to help gather the case studies or the ROI models, or what do I say in a speech or a podcast that's so meaningful mm -hmm. that they go, got it. I want to do this. Right. And, and that's really my goal. Well, why, why, um, you know, outside of this, well, why don't we connect you with a bunch of our customers that have already taken that plunge? just so they can talk about what they went through because i often think that these things are they need um in fact it was one of my uh it was one of my other previous podcasts actually so one of our customers is um zwift you know the social cycling gaming company and um jackie uh who's our sort of sponsor there she is a force of nature, right? And I think a lot of these companies you know I've, i called it you know i turned it into something that everyone needs a jackie right you need someone who's strong enough willing enough and has the ability to articulate why you do this thing but the but the but the facts speak for themselves and i just think this the, unfortunately the model that's set up is so orientated around immediate quick wins with no ability to test things out to see where the longer term curves can come from that you lose the it, they're, they're waiting it's not a proactive step so they're just dealing in the reactive day to day but when you mentioned earlier about the great resignation 
uh, and people quite quitting, that's now the other side of the fence that's starting to put pressure on this model because there aren't enough people that want to work in this way or can work in this way. So now supply is becoming an issue to find not only the people but the skills that is, that's needed in a world where technology, as technology increases, the contacts become more complex and you're going to find it harder to get the people who can deliver not only the, the right answer, even scripted with, say, the name three times, but have that, you know, literally the ability to do it in the first place. So it, it's going to put, it's putting the pressure on the other side. So now is, you know, it's no surprise to anyone listening that our, you know, our advocation jointly, it sounds as well, is just to try these things out because they can at least give you the data to say, yeah, well, if I times this by 100, I can see where it can make an impact. But it, it, it's about taking the plunge and taking your the electric car for a test drive. You never know until you've you know, driven around the block a few times and realised, actually, this is quite smooth and quite nice. So, mm -hmm. Well, it's, we, we could talk probably for a couple of days about this subject. <laughs> yeah. Scratching service. But um, uh, am, am I right in thinking you've, you've kindly accepted our offer and i think you're going to contribute to the gig cx report itself our one that was coming out fantastic that's brilliant um so anyone listening for that to hear more from you where where would they come to find out more about you and what when and your and your work where's the best place probably linkedin uh -huh. so natalie petahoff um or my website dr natalie news fantastic so we're going to have to call that a day otherwise this will be one of those very long form podcasts but i think we're gonna i'd like to do another one actually with you and and pick uh some of the questions i didn't get anywhere close to but there, there's i know i just our list and i'm like i don't think i answered any of those maybe one this is, sorry this about is, that brilliant. this is absolutely brilliant so uh, because there's something you mentioned at the start which is really resonating which is that a lot of companies don't Firstly, I, I hate this phrase. It almost sort of creates this reaction in me, which is when you see, you know, we put our customers at the heart of everything we do. And I'm just like, do you really? Do you really put your customers at the heart of everything you do? Because it is my experience when I'm on your website or I'm calling in or I'm trying to talk to you and chat or I'm trying to do the things that I want to do. It's not how you want me to interact with you. It's very different. But what you've also mentioned is, you need to put your employees at the heart of everything you do. And if you, if you can trust your employees and give them enough, um, you know, trust and, uh, and, and you allow them an environment to be empathetic, uh, then the results speak themselves. And I'd love to dive into that in more detail, but that might be a part two. So we're going to, we're going to have to. And, and yeah, go, go. Sorry. And the reason I think the reason that that doesn't happen and I used to use this technique when I was doing management consulting, we would record the calls from the call center mm. and we would play them in a meeting with the CEO <laughs> and they would be like, well, that's gotta be just that. Like that's not happening on all our calls. Is it? And we're like, yeah, yeah. And we're yeah. like, that can't be. So I think it, and the point of empathy, right. Is if CEOs and executives sat in the call center, answered the calls, answered the chats, went on the website, tried to get mm. something done, they would go, oh my God, this is awful, right? I mean, Uber's CEO just started driving, right? And when he was driving, he went, yeah, this is not, you know, we're not providing our employees a good experience. Mm. So that's all I'm asking, right? Is do that, just try it. 
And I think that what you'll find is it's not good. And now you have a whole to-do list of what would be better if. You give me a great idea, which is for, for, our, uh, for, for the brands that are using uh, GigCX is we're going we're gonna to invite the management team of these brands to become brand experts and say why don't you answer questions because then they can do it from wherever they are right they can just go on their phone they can like ping and, they and they're can, really good at it they should be they should be really good at it you know if you're sitting yeah. in the board and representing your brand why don't you do it and you know, they can earn a few quid on the side but you know but the important thing i think is that they get to experience the sort of ebb and flow of conversations but they were they would experience what would it be like if this is one of your you if you're a customer what would it feel like if you're answering stuff that's a great idea i think we're going to do that i'm interested Great idea. Well, that's been absolutely fascinating. Nancy, thank you so much for your time. You're incredibly busy to, to carve this time out. And we had a couple of technical problems, but you know, let's not bother around that. And uh, but you know, I got in the background. I got to test out my electric fly swatter as well, so that was good. So <laughs> you know, technology's helped. It's also hindered today. <laughs> but we've had a fascinating. Thank you so much again. It's been brilliant. And uh, there'll be uh, links to you know, to you, your website in the show notes. Anyone wants to go on and anyone wants to know more about this wonderful world of GigCX, you can go to limitlesstech.com. But for now, we will we will say good night. It's uh, bedtime for me in the UK, and it's early afternoon, I guess, for you, for you in the states. But thank you again, Natalie. Thank you. Mm -hmm.